It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. It's October 29th, which means we've got less than a week before the election. And then all of these ads... <laughs> can go away. <laughs> All the mailers can stop coming. Uh, assuming that assuming of course that means the election actually is over after election day, but only time will tell on that. Uh, I want to give a shout out to patrons to the program. We've got a bunch and they include Ron, Juanita, Pamela, Stephen, Nancy, Jim and Robbie, Jan, Daryl, Daniel, and Jocelyn, I appreciate the support. Couldn't do the show without you guys. They became patrons. You can as well just by going to thepetecalendarshow.com, clicking on the link at the top of the page there. Uh, links are also in the description of the podcast itself. The show is also made possible by sponsors such as Mattress Man. So if you want to support the program, uh, next time you buy a mattress, go to Mattress Man. Mattressmanstores.com. I went there even before I was trying to support my own show. I went there <laughs> I went there like uh, eight years ago. Christy and I bought our mattress from Mattress Man. It's a memory foam. It's a king-sized. We love it. We actually, I'm trying to remember the first time we slept in a king-sized mattress, and it was at a hotel. I don't remember when. It may have been on our honeymoon, but uh, we were like, the size of this bed is awesome. We like the next bed we get has to be a king size mattress. Uh, and so we went to Mattress Man and we picked one up and we've been totally happy with it, satisfied completely with it. You will too, uh, whether it's a memory foam or it's an inner spring mattress, whatever. They've got sleep consultants there that go through uh, six weeks of uh, extensive training. So they learn what types of mattresses are most beneficial to the way people sleep. You know, your position that you sleep in on your side sleeper, back sleeper. And so they can help you with that. Uh, choosing the right mattress. You can also pick up an adjustable base. And they've got the triple zero deal going on right now. Zero money down, zero interest for two years, zero payments for three months. Mattressmanstores.com. Four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide. They have local five-star white glove delivery service and a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. All righty. So elections officials in North Carolina will count absentee ballots that get mailed in by November 12th. I know election day is not November 12th. Election Day is this coming Tuesday. Okay, it is the third. However, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to take up a case out of North Carolina. Yes, this is one of the cases we've been discussing for several weeks now where the Board of Elections entered into a collusive agreement with the North Carolina, uh, this is the North Carolina State Board of Elections, entering into an agreement at the advice of the Democratic North Carolina Attorney General, Josh Stein and his staff. Um, and uh, this, well, this particular suit uh, came from an AFL-CIO-affiliated group represented by Mark Elias, who also happens to be the attorney that represented Roy Cooper 
uh, and every other Democrat in like every election case ever. He's also the Democratic super lawyer that's been suing North Carolina over every manner of election law uh, for the last almost decade. Okay, if you've got a Democrat lawsuit to file against North Carolina over election related laws, Mark Elias is somehow involved in it. And like this one, what made it really ironic was that Mark Elias represented Dan McCready, who was the former congressional candidate down in North Carolina's ninth district uh, when all of the absentee ballot harvesting scandal erupted. So Elias was repping uh, McCready, the Democrat. And because of what happened there, the General Assembly changed absentee ballot requirements for witness signatures. And they, they said, all right, from now on, you need two witnesses. You know, So we want to cut down on this ballot harvesting. If we can, uh, root this out. And now Elias sued over the witness signature requirements. The guy just sues for whatever reason is necessary at the current moment. It's all situational. Whatever the current goal is, they will file litigation in order to get what they need right now. Uh, and the past and the future be damned. So... The North, uh, the North Carolina Board of Elections uh, enters into this agreement and they totally cut out the General Assembly, which I would submit is completely unethical because they were also litigants in the case. Well, they were um, they were the, pl- the, the defendants in the case. Right. Elias is repping the plaintiffs and the General Assembly is listed as one of the defendants. And so you have two parties that enter into this agreement and they never tell the third party. What, guys, what's up with that? Well, the General Assembly is run by Republicans, and so Josh Stein, the Democratic Attorney General, he doesn't feel like he should have to represent the Republican General Assembly, because he doesn't like them, because they're Republicans. And so he doesn't represent them, despite the fact it's your freaking job. This is what you are elected to do. It's your job to do this, and he doesn't do it. How has this not earned him some sort of censure from the bar, I don't know, but this is this was a behavior that began under Roy Cooper, and now Josh Stein continues it. Uh, I've covered this before. By the way, if you want a rundown of how terrible Roy Cooper is, check out my column it ran today or yesterday in the North State Journal, NSJ Online. You can read that there. Um, uh, let's see here. Chief Justice John Roberts. This is from the Carolina Journal. Chief Justice John Roberts, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, and the court's three-member liberal block rejected the Republican's request. Justice Clarence Thomas would have granted the request to hear the case. Justices Neil Gorsuch and Samuel Alito issued a formal dissent in one of the two cases. Justice, there are two cases out of North Carolina, they're different courts, so there are technically two different cases. So, um, But they're basically suing over the same thing. Justices also voted 5-3 to three without comment to reject action in that second case. So they're not hearing either of them. So the the General Assembly had appealed the lower court rulings and uh, the U.S. Supreme Court said we're not going to take them up. Okay, Justice Amy Coney Barrett did not take part in this decision. And I'll get I'll circle back to that because it might be very important. So Gorsuch issued the only written opinion in the case. I have it. It's not very long. It's only like three pages, three and a half pages. And you know, the way they, I don't know if you've ever seen Supreme Court decisions and opinions, they always write them. <laughs> They've got like 12-inch margins on the left, on the right, up above and below. And so you end up with just this, you know, tiny little block of text in the center of the page. I don't know why they do that. It's just, <laughs> it's always been the way they do it. I don't know. I'm sure there's a reason. I don't know what it is. So here is uh, here are some of the highlights of Gorsuch's 
dissent. This summer, the General Assembly of North Carolina adopted new election laws expressly designed to address challenges that COVID posed to a fast-approaching election. Okay, so number one, always keep this in mind. If you're going to be arguing about this case with people, and I've been doing that for the last now two days on this, um, if you're going to argue with people, always keep in mind the General Assembly in a bipartisan COVID response bill that was signed into law by the Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, right? That bill addressed changes that needed to be made in the election. They did this over the summer before the election began. They did this as a response to COVID. It got Democrat support. It was signed by the Democratic governor. So this idea that these laws were somehow, you know, meant to disenfranchise people, well, that would mean that everybody is trying to disenfranchise voters. So if you're going to accuse the GOP of trying to disenfranchise voters because they refuse to extend the deadline for when the ballots need to arrive by, at the Board of Elections, then you have to also accuse Democrats of that. And you have to accuse the Democratic governor of that. But they never make that accusation because it's always the Republicans. Precisely. At the same time, the General Assembly judged, sorry, this is Gorsuch's opinion. At the same time, the General Assembly judged it appropriate to retain certain other existing election rules, like the state's deadline for the receipt of absentee ballots. So right now, it's, you know, election day is uh, November 3rd, right? And then they do three days after that, the ballots have to be in by. So you got to have mailed it by November 3rd, by election day, it's got to have a postmark election day uh, or earlier and then if it gets to the board of elections within the next three days after election day then they'll count it now military ballots take longer they give them a larger window and i think they don't even need a postmark um so what the board of elections did in entering their agreement with mark elias in this you know collusive agreement with all democrats involved they said you know what Three days after election is not enough because, you know, Donald Trump is running around blowing up mailboxes and stealing mailboxes and, you know, kneecapping letter carriers so they they can't, you know, get the ballots in on time and all that. So because of all of that, we're going to need an extra, I'll throw six days on there. I don't know why six. So now instead of a three-day post-election day window, now it's a nine-day post-election day window. So it's now November 12th. So now we're going to get to uh, take in ballots for nine days after the election. Now, I've said this before, I don't automatically, reflexively have an objection to taking in ballots that late. I generally don't, because generally absentee ballots, well, there aren't a lot of them, and they don't really flip elections. And by the way, the argument that they need to have this extended uh, timeline because, you know, people won't be able to vote Well, like 70-something percent of all the votes that were cast in the 2016 election have already been cast in North Carolina. Like, so many people have already voted already. Like, who are these people that you think are waiting to vote? Well, they they want as much time as possible, and they want to make sure that every vote counts, they'll say. And that means we have to accommodate for the crummy postal service (laughs) and their delivery times. And look... As a resident of Asheville, where all of our mail now gets routed through Greenville, South Carolina, so whether you're going you know, across the state or across the street, it's going to take two weeks regardless, I am sympathetic to the argument that the Postal Service is not a reliable um, vehicle for this type of uh, action. Well, 
I would also then submit maybe you should go early vote. Maybe you should vote way before election day. Maybe you should not wait until the last minute. And honestly, at this point, if you are thinking about early voting, you are better off dropping it off at the Board of Elections yourself or just go early vote. The polls are open right now. They're open for like two weeks before the election. You're telling me you can't find a half hour because like, honestly, go down to the Asheville Mall. That's where Christy and I went. We went to the mall and it took us like 15 minutes. And most of that was the actual process of voting itself because it was a long ballot. We had a lot of bubbles to fill in. So that's the process, folks. And you don't even have to worry about um, the people in your face with the flyers at the mall because it's private property. So they're not allowed to do any kind of electioneering on premises, which was great. I don't even have to you know, run the gauntlet. Yes, I know who I'm voting for. No, I don't want your palm card, right? I don't need any of that garbage. So Back to Gorsuch's opinion. He says, under state law, absentee ballots got to be postmarked on or before Election Day, and they got to be received no later than three days after Election Day. Despite the General Assembly's considered judgment about the appropriate response to COVID, other state actors, including the Board of Elections, chose to issue their own additional and supplemental set of amendments to state election laws. Relevant here, they purported to extend the absentee ballot receipt deadline by six days, going up to November 12th, right? So instead of three, we're going to nine. So it's an additional six days. I know because you're going to hear, you probably have, you're confused how many days did they add? They added six. There was already three. So it's a total of nine and it takes you to November 12th. Okay. A state court and the board worked together to override a carefully tailored legislative response to COVID, said Justice Gorsuch. The parties before us all acknowledge that under the federal constitution, only the state legislature and Congress may prescribe the times, places, and manner of holding elections. Everybody agrees. And everybody agrees that the state constitution expressly vests all legislative power in the General Assembly, not the Board of Elections, or anybody else for that matter. So, Nobody is questioning this. There's no disagreement among any of the participants in this case. The legislature has the sole authority to set election law. So, he says, we need not go rifling through state law to understand the board's permissible role in rewriting election laws. All we need to know about its authority to override state election laws is plain from the federal and the state constitutions. Besides, even assuming the North Carolina General Assembly could delegate its elections clause authority to other officials, its representatives contend before us in court that it has not authorized the deadline extension here, and understandably so, he says. State law provides the board with supervisory authority over elections, but that authority permits the board to prescribe regulations only if they do not conflict with state statutory law. State law also furnishes the Board of Elections with power to create interim rules. But that power, too, is circumscribed, triggered when a state statute has been or likely will be invalidated by a court. And that doesn't sound like a blank check to the board allowing it to rewrite the election code in any and all consent decrees that it, it, it may wish to enter into. See, and that's that's really the linchpin here. The Board of Elections entered into this consent agreement with essentially friendly parties. They're all allies. All the people involved in the consent ag- uh, agreement 
They're all of the same political party. They're all of the same political beliefs. And the one party that was participating in the lawsuit that does not agree with them, they cut out. Why do you think that is? See, the the gaslighting here is immense. What's going on in the media and with the partisan hacks that are trying to tell us that the, the Republicans just don't want people to vote. Like, why did you cut them out of the agreement? If it was completely above board, you know, why would you craft this thing without the General Assembly who's participating in the case? They're defendants. Why would you enter the consent agreement without their approval or knowledge? Finally, state law confers upon the Board of Elections certain emergency powers. You're going to hear this argument as well. Well, it's an emergency. Okay, but relevant to our purposes here, Gorsuch writes, the board may exercise those powers only when there are three conditions that get met. Three conditions, all right? Uh, Number one, the normal schedule for the election is disrupted by, number two, a natural disaster, and three, provided that the board's actions do not unnecessarily conflict with statutory law. So those are the three conditions that have to be met. You got to meet all three. And so you can say, number three, okay, the board's actions do not unnecessarily conflict with statutory law. We're just extending it a couple days. It's not that big of a deal. Okay. But what about number two? Was this a natural disaster? Okay. Is the normal schedule for the election disrupted? Does it meet all three of those things to the point where you need to rewrite a law that you don't have authority to rewrite? He says there's no ground for thinking that the election schedule has been disrupted. It doesn't meet the test. North Carolina stands fully equipped to conduct its election on November 3rd, right? Election day is going to happen. It's already, right? We're already voting. Process underway. Disruptions minimal. Um, COVID is not like natural disasters either that the board has pointed to in the past, like hurricanes or power outages. These things can disrupt the mechanics of running an election, especially given that the General Assembly has long known about the pandemic's challenges and expressly prepared for them. Like, it would be different here if the General Assembly didn't do anything, but they did. They passed a series of fixes and, uh, you know, temporary measures for this election only to help people deal with the pandemic. Now, by the way, if you're trying to deal with the pandemic, one of the things you probably want is gear, especially with wintertime coming. You don't know what's going to happen with this election cycle. So go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Prep yourself for whatever may come down the line here. Emergency kits. These are great for anybody, for your car. So you can throw the kit into your car and God forbid you ever, you know, slide off the road or something. Uh, You won't starve to death or freeze to death. You're going to have equipment ready to go uh, with this emergency kit. You can also pick up uh, military-grade thermal underwear, all sizes, wool sweaters, socks, field jackets, uh, wool and fleece toboggans, Gore-Tex jackets as well. Everything you need for winter is at Old Grouch's Military Surplus, and it's a lot cheaper than you're going to find at a lot of outdoor stores. Plus, Tons of real U.S. military surplus. For more than three decades, Old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. Shop is open Monday through Saturday, and it's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. It's also online 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. So finally, Gorsuch writes, The change that the Board of Elections adopted was deemed unnecessary by the General Assembly when it retained the uh, the deadline. The General Assembly actually looked at this. The legislature 
looked at extending the deadline, and they said, no, we don't need to do that. Any single one of these three problems is enough to sink the board's action. And then he concludes, we'll go to the last page here, such last-minute changes by largely unaccountable bodies invites confusion, it risks altering election outcomes, and in the process threatens voter confidence in the results. It, it's also amazing to me. All the people that are saying, you know, uh, you know, Donald Trump is trying to undermine confidence in the elections. Uh, meanwhile, they do this stuff. Are you telling me that if you've got a race that seems to have been settled, a race that somebody is leading, and then all of a sudden, three days, four days, seven days, nine days later, the ballots all come in. There's just this wave of absentee ballots that shows up. And then it's like, oh, hey, I know we thought that so-and-so won, but actually so-and-so lost. Yeah, the opponent won. It doesn't even matter to me, Democrat or Republican. If you think that doesn't undermine confidence in the system, you're crazy. Of course it does, which is why you try not to keep taking in ballots. Because here's the other question. Why nine nine days? Why three? Why why add six onto the three to make it nine? What, what makes this number the right number? Well, it's reasonable. Okay, what about 10? Is that reasonable too? Yeah, okay, 10 is reasonable. How about 11? How about 12? How about 13? How about 14? How about 15? I can keep I can keep going because at some point you reach a point where you say, hmm, you know what, that's not reasonable. Okay, why isn't that reasonable? Two weeks is too long? Ten days is just right? Six days is too short, right? But 40 days, oh, that's way too long. Why? It's arbitrary. It's arbitrary. And by the way, we're supposed to accept as pure coincidence that all of the lawsuits that have been filed by these Democrat groups and Democrat voters and repped by Democrat super lawyers such as Mark Elias, we're supposed to believe that all of this is coincidentally occurring in swing states. The very states that they're fighting so hard to win. They're not making these cases in New York State. They're not making these cases in California. They're making them here. They're making them in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Why? Just a coincidence, I'm sure, right? There's nothing partisan or political about it. Now, Josh Stein, Democrat Attorney General, he went on to the Twitter machine and he says, this is a huge win tonight for North Carolina voters. Why is this a win for voters? I'm curious about that, too. Why is this a win for voters? Like, I demand the right to vote as late as possible and to have that vote dilly-dally in the in the mail system and then let it show up nine days later. Again, I'm not particularly opposed to the idea of giving a nine-day window. For real. If you can find like some sort of uh, average time it takes for a piece of mail to make it from point A to point B and you want to base it on some science or something, okay, well, let's take a look at that. That's not what's going on here, though. That's not what happened. No, it's just... You're going to disenfranchise voters if you give them less than nine days after the election. I, I don't know why, but this is somehow a win for the voters. Is it? Or is it a win for people who are trying to sow confusion? I also understand the argument, by the way, that people um, say that, well, it's not like, uh, 
you know, you're flipping the outcomes of races because the outcome of the race has to, by law, include the absentee ballot count. And that is true, by the way. That's totally true. If uh, election day, you know, comes and at the end of the night you think, you know, candidate A is winning and everybody's like, yay. And then they start counting all the absentee ballots. And then within that three day period, the absentee ballots uh, swing the election to candidate B instead. And everybody's like, what happened? I can't believe it. All the absentee ballots. Right. There is uh, and always has been when that happens on the rare occasions it does. There is always a level of distrust and anger and frustration and skepticism about it, it undermines confidence in the system. But it's a three-day window. There's a difference. The longer you push this out, and now it's like we're all going to have to sit here and watch, because what's going to happen is litigation. We all know that. I'm going to get to this. this. That's what's coming. Litigation. The very same groups that are suing everybody and everywhere, uh, everybody everywhere right now, they are now going to sue after the election as well. Whoever loses, whoever doesn't get their way, they're going to start suing. And the absentee ballots and the, that nine-day period afterwards is going to be fertile ground for them to do it uh, to do so. That's the point in all of this. I suspect, I'm no expert, I'm no lawyer, however, it seems kind of, I don't know, obvious that the people who have been litigation crazy are not going to stop litigating if they lose. The year is too important because redistricting is on the line. It's about it's yes, at the federal level, it's about the the courts, the U.S. Supreme Court and getting Trump out of there. But at the state level, it's about the redistricting. That's the key here. They need to get control of the redistricting process so they can draw fair maps. We're told fair maps. And remember, a fair map to a Democrat is one where Democrats win. It's true. It's funny because it's true. Here's something that's not funny, by the way, Um, missing out on the Husqvarna fall sale and then uh, being doomed to either pay, you know, way too much for some uh, substandard yard equipment for the next uh, few years, uh, or you have to just keep using your old decrepit uh, yard equipment. And, you know, how many times does it take you to pull the the cord there to get your power equipment started? It's a good workout, right? <laughs> if <laughs> if if you find yourself having to do that a lot, might I suggest you need another uh, piece of equipment that doesn't make you do that? In fact, battery-operated power equipment's very handy when it comes to that. I've had some. Uh, I had a battery-operated trimmer, uh, edger, and stuff. Uh, that was fantastic. The weed whacker, couple batteries on it. It was great. I mean, I had a small piece of property. It was great. But the Husqvarna Fall Sale, it's going on right now through October 31st, so you only have two more days left at General Equipment Rental. Go to their website now. Check out the deals. Check out the inventory, generalrents.com. General Equipment Rental. They are locally owned and operated, have been for three generations. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. All right? Uh, keep in mind, you maybe just need a tool once. That's possible. Maybe you got a project and you just need a tool for a specific project. General Equipment Rental is your source for all of your equipment needs as well. Everything from lawn and garden equipment to construction and earth moving. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com. And think outside your toolbox. So uh, Josh Stein, the Attorney General, he's like a huge win for North Carolina voters. Um He says voters have to postmark their ballots by Election Day, but now have certainty that their vote will be counted. No, they don't. They don't have certainty their vote's going to get counted. That's just a lie. 
because if it takes more than nine days to get there, they're not going to have their vote counted. Oh, and also, if they fill it out incorrectly, they're not going to have their ballot counted. They're going to have to then try to cure the ballot, right? He says, my team at the uh, uh, attorney general's office is incredible. I cannot be prouder. Uh, they are, they, uh, these lawyers, uh, uh, they work hard and smart. Uh, the people of North Carolina are exceptionally well served by them. Okay. Um, you know, trying to puff up the, the office there. That's fine. The North Carolina Republican Party issued a statement following this uh, ruling. They said, quote, we support Justice Gorsuch's dissent, which explains how the unelected bureaucrats worked to change state election law during an election at the behest of their Democrat political bosses. If North Carolinians want to live in a state with free and fair elections, they should vote out Governor Roy Cooper, Attorney General Stein, and their radical liberal and the radical liberals on the state Supreme Court. In America, the people are the ultimate judge, and this Tuesday we have the chance to elect solid leadership. Statement here from Senator Berger. He is the North Carolina Senate leader, Phil Berger. He said, quote, this is the first of two similar but not identical cases pending before the U.S. Supreme Court involving the mid-election rewrite of North Carolina's election laws. The precedent set will determine the future of America's elections. The question is simple. May unelected bureaucrats on a state panel controlled by one political party overrule election laws passed by legislatures even after bailouts uh sorry even after ballots have already been cast because make no mistake that is what the board of elections did in their deal they cut this deal while ballots were being marked and mailed the election was underway and they changed the rules oh and by the way then they argued in court that you can't change the rules back because that would be confusing. I mean, after all, there is an election going on right now. This is like the kid who murders his parents and then begs for mercy because he's an orphan. Like, that's what they did here. And it worked, at least at the state court level. If public confidence in elections is important, Berger says, then hopefully the answer to this question will be no. We shall see. By the way, Democrat Attorney General Josh Stein still hasn't turned over public records concerning this deal that has been uh, requested of his office. They filed a freedom. The Republicans filed a, uh, a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act request. Senator Warren Daniel, Republican, Burke County, who chairs the Senate Elections Committee, said, quote, Josh Stein is afraid to reveal the truth before Election Day. Exactly what written communications between Stein and Mark Elias uh, is he hiding from the public? Our state's top law enforcement officer secretly negotiated a settlement to change the rules of his own election after voting started, which is this is another component that you never hear addressed. The people that have that are making these decisions that are involved in this stuff directly benefit. Josh Stein is on the ballot right now. And so he has a vested interest in these rules. Okay, um, last month, Governor Roy Cooper's Board of Elections and Attorney General Stein ambushed their co-defendants uh, by settling this lawsuit with Mark Elias to undo state laws uh, guarding against absentee ballot fraud, says the press release. Following the secretive deal, legislators sent records production requests under state statute to both the State Board of Elections and the Attorney General. The request to the Attorney General was sent 29 days ago. So think about this. It's been a month, 
And what what did I just get through saying? That the, the argument that they were making is that we can't possibly change the rules. It's too close to the election, right? Well, when you slow everything down, you're going to get closer to the election. You ran the clock out. That's what they did. They ran the clock out. They were not supposed to have changed the rules during the election in the first place. And that's what prompted the lawsuits uh, and, uh, and then this records request. And then you get a sympathetic judge, a Democrat judge, who ruled before that the legislature was a usurper legislature, that everything that they passed was invalid because of redistricting. Okay, that's the kind of radical you're dealing with in that state court. And so he drags his feet. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that he was refusing to schedule some stuff. So you you drag it out, and then it's like, well, we can't change it now because voters would be confused. Well, the reason why voters would be confused in the first place is because you guys rewrote election law when you don't have authority to rewrite election law. By the way, the Board of Elections has already responded with thousands of documents. They did this within days, despite an ongoing election, and a fraction of the staff that the Department of Justice has. So why is Josh Stein taking so long to produce this information? He says, oh, don't worry, uh, we'll start getting it to you next week. Huh, hmm, what's next week? Something going on next week? Would that matter? Somehow? (laughs) Yeah. Justice Barrett, I mentioned this earlier. Amy Coney Barrett, she did not participate in either of these decisions at the Supreme Court. There was also a a ruling um, along the same lines out of Pennsylvania. They didn't take that one up either. But the fact that she was not a participant uh, means, well, it might mean something. This is over at Uh, redstate.com. A collateral consequence of not having participated is that the way is much more clear now for Justice Barrett to participate in post-election challenges that might involve some of the very changes to state law that the court is now allowing to take effect by not issuing an emergency stay in either case as was being sought. So the take here is that because they didn't get the emergency stay, there's going to be litigation afterwards, and this now preserves that ability for participants to litigate, okay? Uh, I'll explain. First, let me explain. What is going on with your website? People can't figure it out. If that's the case, you need Schaefer Smith Design. Okay, great design can solve a lot of your website's problems. Go talk to my friend Schaefer Smith. He did my logo for my uh, show, and so he does graphic design. He does logos. uh, He does photography as well, so he can help you build your entire website from the ground up, but he's also a designer, and so website design can be causing a lot of problems on your website, and you don't even know it because you know your business. You don't know website design. He also does search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security. He'll do it for professional services, corporate, small businesses, and entrepreneurs. Schaefer Smith can help you. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. All right, so RedState.com, they've got this write-up. I forget the fella's name. They all write under anonymous uh, nom de plumes, and so I don't recall the per- I think it's like shipwrecked or something like that. I forget the fella's name. Uh, or maybe it's a gal. I don't, I, I don't know. Um, the concept here, though, I think is sound. They say they expect litigation in the days ahead, seeking orders from federal courts that ballots be received after the deadline be segregated from Uh, ballots received on or before election day so that their validity can be challenged after the election if necessary. So you understand what they're saying? 
They want so and, and by the way, I already saw this being suggested by was it election law blog or something like that. Rick Hassan, I think is his name. And uh he was already telling people, uh, please separate all the ballots that come in after the original deadlines. So in North Carolina, right, our original deadline was three days after the election. It's now going to be nine days after the election. So he's saying anything that comes in that six-day window that is now new, segregate them out, keep them separate, count them, but keep them separate because all litigation is going to focus on that batch. And if you are not clear as to what votes came in before the you know the extended deadline period it's just going to be a headache so they're already prepping boards of elections around america uh particularly in the swing states where the democrats are suing they're telling them keep the ballots separate okay these are the fights that are likely to play out in the courts across the country next month and the cases will eventually make their way to the supreme court in december so This now begs the question, is everything that we have seen in service to that goal? All of these lawsuits that we're seeing that the Democrat, I mean, in North Carolina, uh, there were dozens of them. And I think nationally, there were like over 400 lawsuits filed. Are they all in service to this goal of creating the fertile territory for future litigation after the ballots are counted and after election day ends and now you start the tallies and if it's close you want to be able to try and sue based on something and if it means you have to flip positions and take the opposite side of an argument i'm sure they'll do that too it's not going to matter justice alito he wrote quote the provisions of the federal constitution conferring on state legislatures not state courts state legislatures They have the authority to make rules governing federal elections. Okay. And that, and that provision in the, in the U S constitution that confers that power to the state general assembly, that now becomes meaningless. If a state court is allowed to just override the laws that are adopted by the legislature, simply by claiming that a state constitutional provision gave the courts the authority to make whatever rules it thought appropriate for the conduct of a fair election, right? So in in other words, you're now vesting authority to write election law in the courts. And so courts are not nonpartisan in North Carolina. So what you're going to have now, like North Carolina's Supreme Court, what is it? Uh, Six to one, right? Isn't it six to one Democrat to Republican? So what they get to, well, they did in this case, right? That's how they ruled in this case. They ruled right along party lines. Four justices at the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court level now, four of them have now gone on record questioning the authority of state courts to use a state's constitutional protection for voting rights in order to make changes to state statutes that set forth election law. So what you're seeing, what, what does that mean? It means judicial activism at the state level. That's what's that's what's now occurring. You've got You've got these uh, judges that have now been elected or appointed, but usually elected, and they're now uh, divining interpretations in state constitutions in order to enact preferred outcomes, usually for Democrats, usually for Democrats, because they're the ones who use the courts in order to legislate stuff. Here's the thing. The legislature is where you need to be legislating these things. If you 
want a law that says that the you know absentee ballots need to be collected and accepted and counted up to a week afterwards? Write a law. Pass a law. Oh, you can't? Okay, well, sorry, you don't get to go to the court and say, we demand uh, one week or else voters are disenfranchised. In fact, the very voters that were in the lawsuits, this is the kicker on all of this, the very people that were uh, that were plaintiffs in the case, they've already voted. <laughs> they already voted. So this idea that they would be disenfranchised, it's false. It's just false. Uh, just like the idea that you can find a better real estate agent than Rowena Patton. That is just false. Okay, I use Rowena Patton uh, when Christy and I said, you know, we're going to buy our house. One phone call we made to Rowena uh, and her all-star powerhouse team. And uh, I think we were uh, we were ready to move on our house. I don't say we're under contract. We got our earnest money down, um, but we're ready to go now. And that, that took, I think, less than a week. So uh, give her a call. 333-4483, buying or selling, she outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state of North Carolina. Mountainhomehunt.com. Uh, you give her a call, or you go to the website, you make contact, and then you better start packing, because she's going to get your house sold quickly and for more money. It's what she does. Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. Uh, all right, next up, Michael Graham. Talk show host. He's up in Boston. He had a column in the Boston Herald. He says, watching the U.N. Uh, U.S. Senate hearings about Twitter and social media. He says, I have to ask my progressive friends yet again, what was wrong with freedom? What was wrong with this idea of freedom? He says, of all the incessant migraine inducing complaints inflicted upon us in this era of the ever outraged, the ones I find most mystifying are liberals who are angry over tweets and Facebook posts. Hey, Captain Genius, what's wrong with the block button? <laughs> this is so true. There's no reason for Twitter, Facebook, or Google to treat anybody the way they're treating the New York Post, blocking their, their Twitter account, uh, and blocking their content from being distributed, um, and the Trump campaign, for that matter, as well, restricting or outright denying them access to their platforms over content. You don't like what Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Kanye is saying on your Facebook feed? Stop following them. He says, normally, I would rail in outrage against politicians proposing the regulations, particularly Republicans. You're supposed to know better. Watch, he says, watching uh, Ed, I make Joe Biden look intellectual Marky wrestling with the concept of unregulated tech is to be expected. But when you're so lousy at running a media platform that you make Senator Ted Cruz want to embrace big government, you really suck. OK, and folks. Twitter really, really sucks. So let me go to some audio here. This is Ted Cruz versus Jack Dorsey yesterday at the uh, Senate committee. I believe this is commerce. I want to focus my questioning on Mr. Dorsey and on Twitter because of the three players before us. I think Twitter's conduct has by far been the most egregious. Mr. Dorsey, does Twitter have the ability to influence elections. No. What? You don't believe Twitter has any ability to influence elections? No, we are one part of a spectrum of communication channels that people have. No, that's no. That's not true. Twitter does have the ability to influence elections. In fact, Twitter has an outsized ability to influence elections. 
because the people who are deeply involved in politics are also deeply rooted in Twitter. So uh, stories that gain traction or get shut down on Twitter, right? that impacts, that influences elections. This guy does not even have a solid grasp uh, first off, appropriate beard length, but also uh, uh, what his product does. This happens, by the way, so often where people uh, at the upper echelon of uh, uh, the ranks of you know a corporation, they've lost touch with the product or the service that they actually provide. So you're testified to this committee right now that, that, that Twitter, when it silences people, when it censors people, when it blocks political speech, that has no impact on elections? People, people have choice of other communication channels with which. Not if, not if they don't hear information. If you don't think you have the power to influence elections, why do you block anything? Exactly. Why are you blocking anything? Why would you block the New York Post story? If it's not going to influence the election, why are you trying to stop the bots? Why are you trying to stop the Russian uh, farms, right, that they just retweet stuff that's, uh, you know, anti-Hillary and pro-Trump? Like, why would you try to stop any of that if you don't influence elections? Uh, Well, we have policies that are focused on making sure that more voices on the platform are possible. We see a lot of abuse and harassment, which ends up silencing people and having them leave from the platform. All right, Mr. Dorsey, I find your opening questions, your opening answers absurd on their face. Let's talk about the last two weeks in particular. As you know, I have long been concerned about Twitter's pattern of censoring and silencing individual Americans with whom Twitter disagrees. But two weeks ago, Twitter and to a lesser extent Facebook crossed a threshold that is fundamental in our country. Two weeks ago, Twitter made the unilateral decision to censor the New York Post in a series of two blockbuster articles, both alleging evidence of corruption against Joe Biden. The first concerning Ukraine, the second concerning communist China. And Twitter made the decision, number one, to prevent users, any user, from sharing those stories. And number two, you went even further and blocked the New York Post from sharing on Twitter its own reporting. Why did Twitter make the decision to censor the New York Post? Uh, We had a hack materials policy. um, When was that policy adopted? Uh, In 2018, I believe. In 2018. Go ahead. What was what what was the policy? So the policy is around um, limiting the spread of materials uh, that are hacked. Um, We didn't want Twitter to be a distributor for hack materials. Um, We found that the New York Post, because it showed the direct materials, screenshots of the direct materials, and it was unclear how those were attained, that it felt that it fell under this policy. Now, so in your view, if it's unclear, the source of of a document, and in this instance, the New York Post documented what it said the source was, which it said it was a a laptop owned by Hunter Biden that had been turned into a a repair store. So they weren't hiding what they claim to be the source. Is it, is it your position that Twitter, when you can't tell the source, blocks blocks press stories? No, not at all. Um, <laughs> we, our, our team made a fast decision. Uh, the enforcement action, however, of blocking URLs, both in tweets and uh, in DM, in direct messages, we believe was incorrect. And we changed it. Today, right now, the New York Post is still blocked from tweeting. Two weeks later. 
Yes, they have to log into their account, which they can do at this minute, delete the original tweet, which fell under our original enforcement actions, and they can tweet the exact same material and the exact same article, and it would go through. So, Mr. Dorsey, your ability is you have the power to force a media out. And let's be clear. The New York Post isn't just some random guy tweeting. The New York Post has the fourth highest circulation of any newspaper in America. The New York Post is over 200 years old. The New York Post was founded by Alexander Hamilton. And your position is that, that you can sit in Silicon Valley and demand of the media that you can tell them what stories they can publish and you can tell the American people what reporting they can hear. Is that right? No, this was this was a you know every person, every account, uh, every uh, organization that signs up to Twitter agrees to a terms of service. A terms of service. Is so public. media outlets must genuflect and obey your dictates if they wish to be able to communicate with readers. Is that right? No, not at all. We you know we we recognize an error in this policy and specifically the enforcement. You're still blocking their posts. You're still blocking their posts. Right now, today, you're blocking their posts. We're not blocking the posts. Anyone can tweet. Can the New York Post uh, post on their on a Twitter account? If they go into their account. No is your answer to that. No. Unless they genuflect and, and, and agree with your dictates. Let me ask you something. You, you claimed it was because of a hacked materials uh, policy. I find that facially... Uh, highly dubious and clearly employed in, in, in a deeply partial way. Did Twitter block the distribution of the New York Times' story a few weeks ago that purported to be based on copies of President Trump's tax returns? We didn't find that a violation of our terms of service and this policy in particular because it was reporting about the material. It wasn't distributing uh, the okay well that's actually not true that they, they posted what they purported <laughs> to be original source materials and federal law federal statute makes it a crime yep. a federal felony to distribute someone's tax returns against their knowledge so that material was based on something that was distributed in violation of federal law and yet twitter gleefully allowed people to circulate that but when the article was critical of joe biden twitter engaged in rampant uh, censorship and silencing. By the way, Ted Cruz came to Asheville yesterday. I've got a couple sound bites from that. Uh, first, let me tell you about Growers Hemp, created by farmers who knew that they could make small farming work for their families and help people on their wellness journey. So, people take CBD oil for all sorts of reasons. Me, I take Growers Hemp CBD oil every night before I go to bed, and when I fall asleep, I sleep deeper than I ever have. So, what are you looking for? A uh, better quality of life, a balanced state of mind, positive mental outlook, immune system resilience, deeper sleep, lower tension, add the natural alternative growers hemp full spectrum hemp extract to your daily routine and discover what your reasons are. The best quality at a price that's affordable because growers hemp controls the whole process from seed to shelf. Growers Hemp maintains complete control, so you get the best for lower prices. As with all CBD products, GovCo requires me to say... These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Nothing I have said is meant to as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Uh, go to growershemp.com, type in the promo code PETE for 20% off. 
from North Carolina farmers to your home, growershemp.com. Growers Hemp. It's about the hemp and not the hype. All right, so Ted Cruz, he comes to Asheville uh, yesterday. Uh, I went there. He was there for, uh, campaigning for Tom Tillis. A billion dollars from the NYPD. Minneapolis, Portland. In Texas, Austin, Texas, cutting $150 million, a third of the police department budget. Asheville, North Carolina. Security is all about. This is an election where North Carolina has an ability to stand up and defend not just your community, not just your family, not just your neighbors, not just the entire state of North Carolina, but y'all have the ability to stand up and defend the entire United States of America. Right. So North Carolina, in case you're not aware, is uh, pretty battlegroundy as far as states go. He says also Democrats have gone crazy. I mean, these guys have gone bat crap crazy. That, by the way, is a medical definition. That's a technical term. <laughs> Look, it used to be just a few years ago. When Tom and I first got there, you had crazy Bernie Sanders over here on the left. He was a socialist. And he was all alone. What's happened? What's happened is every other Democrat in the country has run behind Bernie and says, yeah, yeah, what he said. Suddenly they're all socialists. Yeah, I don't disagree. Neither did anybody that was there at the uh, event, which was a fantastic event for Tom Tillis. So, yes, please go vote. That's a wrap for this episode, folks. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a thumbs up in the review or a positive review. I appreciate that. Uh, also, think about becoming a patron of the program. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Also, remember, uh, get into the Facebook group. We do live streams there as well. A lot of interaction with uh, very cool people. Thanks so much for your support. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>